Welcome in everyone to Up and Down, a disc golf analytics podcast on the Stat Mando Podcast Network. I'm Jesse, joined as usual by Joey. Hello. We're the nerds who run this thing, and on this episode, we will be breaking down the 2023 Beaver State Fling. But first, Joey, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. I've been playing a lot of disc golf this week, so finally feeling like I'm getting back in the swing of it. So, a lot of fun. Hit metal a couple times last night, so very exciting. Always nice. Yep. Yeah, how are you? Doing pretty good. I actually haven't played disc golf in probably almost three weeks now whoa wow. yeah there was a, a little thing called tears of the kingdom that came out and i've yep, been yep. thoroughly enjoying it so yep. no regrets uh and also we got some good news this week the pdga has approved the berg x from yeah, i saw that and it has me very excited so, so. I, I got to imagine this is more like baobab territory like super overstable I don't know because the X series usually isn't like that much over that much more overstable. You know what I mean? So if you really rip into a Berg, like it's not, I wouldn't call it overstable. It's, I would just call it stable. I just call it like glideless, right? Yeah. I, I would be surprised if the Berg X was going to be as stable as a zone. Okay. Like that, that would be more of a difference between the X series and the non X series than probably any other X series disc that they've made. It's odd. So I'm not sure. Because a disc with so little glide, it's hard to, hard to do anything with that. Right. Right. You know, but I mean, the Rico X is quite a bit more stable than the Rico, um, and and the grim as well so i don't know we'll see it's it's hard to imagine a disc with so little flight being overstable but right yeah excited to find out we'll see yep all right so we had the beaver state fling this weekend and honestly lots of cool stuff going on this weekend in particular i think the big news this weekend was a new fpo winner so why don't we just jump right into it joe with what it takes where we look at our winners from this past weekend and see what they did to set themselves apart from the rest of the field so why don't you go ahead and kick us off with the fpo yeah jen allen taking down her first tour win after turning pro since 2000 it's hard to believe that she hasn't had this big of a win yet but it's it's exciting and honestly looking at this course this is definitely one that that it shouldn't surprise anybody that that Jen would play really well on. You know, she's got the distance, she's got the power, and that's why she's first in circle one and circle two in regulation. And we talk about it week in and week out. You know, those are the most important stats as far as giving yourself opportunities. And she putted pretty well, um, 70% in the circle, good enough for 17th. So, I mean, she's she's gaining strokes on the field in circle one there. Pretty average in circle two, but Kept it clean, only three OBs, so the story was definitely tee to green for Jen. Um, obviously, everybody heard about her huge ace on hole one, already had the lead, and pretty much hits the ground running with that. You know, poor Holland. Yeah, did hit. you hear what disc that was? I did, a Jen Allen color glow T-Bird. Yeah, I yeah, I had heard it was a T-Bird. I, I guess I should have known it was a color, or yeah, a color glow Jen Allen T-Bird. But yeah, a T-Bird 345. 
Yeah, that's a. I don't that's know how mash. many people in the FPO field can do that. That's a mash, and I mean, also people just in general. But that you know, t- is there anything more like dominant, like like shove it in your face than acing with your a disc with your name on it, like? I was you thinking know, about that when I heard Eric Oakley uh, threw in from like 360 feet for Eagle with his spice. Yeah, yeah. I was like, man, that must feel great. Yeah, for real. So really awesome for Jen to see her take this one down. She she played really well. You know, honestly, it was it was interesting to watch, you know, especially on the front nine there with with Holland seemingly close on her heels and Holland was playing really, really well. But, I mean, to start with an ace and then get three birdies right in a row after that, I mean, there's not a whole lot you can do to to keep up with that. I mean, Jen's playing one better than perfect through four holes, you know, and Holland went, went bogey-free eight down in the final round, and, and Jen went eight down as well, but, you know, just just not quite good enough, which is a phenomenal round. And Holland was right behind Jen you know, second in circle one regulation, second in circle two in regulation, first in parked. So Holland almost sweeps in the fairway stats, but, you know, just not not quite as many strokes tee to green as Jen. Um, and actually, you know, putted a little bit better than Jen in in circle one and quite a bit better than Jen in, in circle two. Jen Allen actually didn't make any of her nine circle two putting attempts. Um, which is which is interesting, you know, to because she gained a, a few strokes on the field in circle well, two. Well, right, right. Um, which we've talked about before. We've talked about how that can happen. Um, but definitely interesting, you know. They they both only went OB three times, but just the way the strokes shake out, um, you know, Jen takes it over Holland by two strokes. It was dramatic. I mean, even down to the last couple holes, it it really felt like it could go could go either way. But it, it's no surprise that on this course that these two players found themselves at the top of the leaderboard, you know, and a few of the other players that we tend to see throw really far also moved towards the top. You know, Maria Oliva was on lead card final round, but I mean, Holland and Jen Allen, I mean, there was a 10 stroke drop from second to third, which is massive. I mean, they were just far beyond where anybody else was. So really exciting finish for Jen and and also a great finish for Holland as well. Yeah, all the props in the world to Holland. I mean, she goes into the final round. She's down by two to Jen Allen. And outside of Jen Allen, she shoots the hot round by three strokes. Right. So she, she kind of did everything she, she could have done. And obviously Jen Allen able to match that <laughs> eight under. So both of them, uh, three strokes out from everybody else so you're Holland Hanley right you're down by two you start off your final round birdie 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 and you lose a stroke to Jen Allen yeah that not a whole lot you can do no you can't even say it feels bad because you didn't do anything wrong you know no, you, you went out everything there and you, you could do you played your game right yep and uh I, yeah, it, in a way, it it's kind of nice because it takes the pressure off almost in a way. You know, it's like, look, I did everything I could realistically do. And the 
yeah, main like playing that well, but still not gaining strokes. But it's also like not your fault. There's nothing you can do. It, yeah, I think it just makes it so the pressure's not on. You're not getting in your own head about oh, you know, I'm playing super hot. I got to keep this up. Like she played bogey yeah. free. Like obviously the mental game was was very strong with that whole final round. Even coming down to the wire, going into hole 15, Holland's only down one at this point. Right. And they both birdie 15, they both par 16, they both par 17. So that score did not change most of those final holes. It was really, really tight. And then Jen just snagged the birdie on that last hole to uh, add a little margin. But yeah, just super close the whole way. Just a two-horse race the whole the oh, whole yeah. time. It was so obvious by you know six or seven holes into the final round that it was going to be one of the two of them. Yeah, I think the only thing I noticed with Holland, you know, she putted really well the whole tournament, but the final round it just seemed like she was missing circle one putts where where she really needed them, and a couple of them were on holes where she had an opportunity to gain a stroke on Jen, and and she didn't. She missed she missed four circle one putts in the final round and it didn't really Mm -hmm. feel like that right it felt like she was playing really strong and clean but i mean that's that's four strokes out there you know and it's it's hard to to say it that way right because you know jen also missed two putts out there so you know it's you can't simply say had holland made all of those putts because you know this is sports, right? So maybe the the way confidence comes and goes changes as as different things happen. But nevertheless, I think there's there's definitely some strokes out there for Holland to get. But it seemed like her mental game was in the right place. And I mean, two strokes behind somebody who started the final round with an ace is is nothing to be too upset about. So awesome showing from both of them. So hole seventeen. In round one, there was only one player to get a circle one in regulation on hole 17. It was Jen Allen who was parked. Yeah. (laughs) She was also the only birdie that round, as you could imagine. In round two, also only one player able to get in circle one in regulation. And once again, it was Jen Allen. She did not make the putt for birdie, unfortunately, but still. Yeah, pretty two circle one in regulation is through the first thirty six holes on that hole, and she was both of them. Makes sense to me. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah. So over on the MPO side, Eagle McMahon takes down his third Beaver State fling. It's also his first win in a silver event. I mean, this this is pretty big, and it it sounds so weird to say that it's it's such a relief to see Eagle back on top, but it's been a long 18 months, you know, as I'm sure it has been for Eagle, but also as a fan of Eagle, right? It went from, you know, there was a day or two where it was like, is he ever even going to play again to, you know, he'll be okay to he'll never throw a forehand again to he wins a major backhand only you know, and then he yeah, that take, was cool. Takes the rest of the year off, and then comes back, and you know, 
I've been watching them slowly and definitely paying attention to the forehand. And it, it seems to be coming back. I mean, he, he absolutely is, is back to a elite or maybe even elite plus forehand. Um, I, don't, I don't know that he'll be ripping him 600 feet this year, but it, it's working for him. And it doesn't seem like it's causing him any discomfort, at least in the short term. But the biggest thing I've noticed with Eagle is that it seems like he's matured a lot in his mental game on the course. And his reactions to things that go well and things that go poorly seem to be a little bit closer to neutral. And it's it's really working for him. And I'm just so happy to see him back on top. And I feel like that's really big for him to convince himself, like, you still have this in you. You're still arguably the most talented thrower of the disc in the field. You know, you can still do this. And it it was awesome to see. And bo- bogey-free, he shot 10, 10, 11 down to go 31 down, bogey-free, OB-free, which is amazing. A lot of OB lines on this course. So, I mean, there were some guys that were close, you know, Double G, Calvin, um, Andrew Presnell in the final round brought it pretty close, but they gave him a run for his money. But I mean, he he had the lead the whole time. There was not a huge question that Eagle was was in control. Shooting first and second in circle two and circle one in regulation, respectively, which is awesome. 100% scramble rate, which of course he is because he had zero bogeys. And 94, yep. 94% in the circle, only missing two circle 1x putts, which is awesome. So, I mean, when you're playing that dominantly, both tee to green and putting, it's it's hard to imagine not being on the top. The one thing that was a little bit uneagle like was his circle 2 putting was was not great. Only, only 21% there. He only got three of them. So he actually lost strokes in circle 2, um, which I can't imagine that prime eagle does does very often Um, yeah he's one of the best yeah but it it didn't really matter um it it didn't really change anything you know there was a couple that i'm sure he wished he got in the final round he he threw like a 650 foot roller to get it in circle two on a par four and then chained out right side on the putt so i i bet he wishes he had that one back but sure yeah you know and and these putting stats are actually pretty in line with how he's been doing this year right i mean he's his circle two putting is 24 percent, which which isn't bad in general it's okay but it's definitely i mean eagle is an elite circle two putter and i'm, I'm sure he'll be back there at some point um so no no huge surprises as far as what eagle is able to do but finally seeing him do it is is awesome. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, one of the things I notice here looking at his stats is second in circle one in regulation with 56%, only 9% parked. And obviously when you're as good a putter as Eagle is, that doesn't matter, right? Like you're right. going to clean all those up. And he did. He was second in strokes gain C1X. Um for a lot of players, 56% circle under regulation is not going to go the distance for you if only 9% of those are parked. Right. For most players, 
they probably are only gaining one or two, maybe three strokes fewer than Eagle did, but those strokes matter, right? He took it down by three. So it, they do matter, right? Yeah, cer- certainly. Also, and- 80% circle two in regulation. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Gross. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, that's part of what contributes to the, this, I'm sure the <laughs> lack of happiness he had with his circle two putting game because he was there quite a bit, right? And it's, he had a lot of opportunities to get him and, and, you know, he didn't hit a single of his four circle two putts in, in the final round, you know, three for four in, in the second round. That's, that's not what Eagle wants to be doing. You know, if, if he was putting as well as he expects himself to from circle two, I, I think it's an even more dominant performance, but you know, I think getting the, the monkey off his back, so to speak is, is huge for him right now. And I'd love to see, a little bit more confidence going into the next one, you know, knowing that he's still one of the best players in the world. There you is know. only one hole on the course for that weekend that he did not birdie. Wow. Hole 12. It's the only one he didn't get. It's also the only hole that he was not in circle one in regulation. Ever in any of the rounds. Correct. Wow. That's, that's very impressive. Yeah, so the tee to green game was there. Like there, there was really only one. I don't want to say there was only one hole that he couldn't get off the tee. Like I'm sure he could, right? Um, only one hole that he didn't ever get off the tee. I'll say. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah he did get a circle two in regulation on hole twelve. Uh, only one of them, but yeah, that's really the only hole that had his number. I guess he he still never bogeyed it, right? So like, yeah. Right. Calvin Heimberg also playing really well first in strokes gained tee to green playing putting about as well as Eagle, but Calvin had three OBs and Eagle played it completely clean. So there's your three strokes right there. Very, very impressive having that accurate power. Calvin who? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Never, never heard of him. Exactly. And speaking of Calvin, if you haven't listened to the most recent head-to-head episode, you have to because there is a banger stat about Calvin and his Pro Tour points standings right now. So go check that out. Ooh, I'm going to have to do that too. Uh, no offense to the Statmando boys over there. But uh, yeah, I haven't even heard that yet myself. So definitely going to tune into that. Yep, dropped yesterday. Really good one. Sweet. All right. Is it time for crunch time, Joe? It is crunch time. Love it. So this is crunch time where we've crunched the numbers from the entire field, top to bottom, to bring you the coolest stats from the weekend. This is our chance to step away from the winner's circle and take a look at all the other cool statistical happenings in the disc golf scene. And since we're talking about Calvin Heimberg, I guess we'll start there. So after this weekend... With Beaver State Fling under his belt, Calvin Heimberg becomes the first player this year to record 300 holes on the season under par. Which, we've had 10 events, if I remember correctly, and I believe he's played in all of them, so he averages about 30 holes under par per event. Wow. Which works out to... I was going to say 10 per round, but... 
that assumes that all the rounds are all the tournaments are three rounds and that's not true but pretty close somewhere between nine and ten birdies per round is what he's averaging through 10 events extremely impressive yeah so his birdie rate on this season is 52.26 the next highest is only 48.4 and that's gannon burr who has recorded 279 holes under par which is 22 behind calvin yeah it's it it honestly feels like it's not even close as far as how dominant calvin is is playing right now yeah easy player of the year front runner no question yeah he would have to drop off a cliff to for it to even be a close race at the end of the year honestly you know i think gannon's playing really well but he's he's probably the the only close contender you know and if he continues at the pace that he's playing at now you know let's say gannon and calvin keep kind of going back and forth you know it it seems like every four events they're each going to get one of them you know some something yeah it definitely feels that way something like that i think it it's probably going to come down to the majors you know and it's something we talk about with Calvin all the time, right? Is is where he's at with the majors. Gannon's already got one. I know it was last year, so it's not going to consider for this year's player of the year, but it definitely changes the confidence level going into it, right? Especially going into USDGC. So I'd, I'd really like to see Calvin take one down. I mean, he plays well in Vermont. So I don't know. I'd love to see it. Totally agree. I think but we all know that he is a favorite every time he enters one. It's only a matter of time. He's still young. He'll have many by the time he's done, but it'd be cool to see him get that first one and prove the haters wrong. Is anyone really a Calvin Heimberg hater? Is that a no, thing? That can't think, be a thing. Calvin's Calvin's too cool. Too I don't think there's a, a single person out there that's not that's rooting against him. Hey, I got to guess the stat for you. Love it. Hit so me. Jen Allen... FPO and FP40, her first event in one of those divisions, obviously it was FPO at this time, was in the year 2000. Amazing, right? So in in that amount of time, she has played 289 events in those two divisions. How many out That's of two, a lot. How many out of 289 has she been on the podium? Hmm. So I did catch a stat that was shared by Statmando, and I'm I might butcher this, but uh, I want to say she's played 85 DGPT events. Maybe it was 85 Elite Series or Majors, but I think at the very least 85 DGPT events, and she has top. Oh no no no! It it was not DGPT events. She's played, it was, I forget what the qualifier was, but it was 85 of some category of events, and she placed in the top 10 in all of them. Yeah. Which is wild. Um, how many podiums? You can give me a percentage as well. 
Yeah, I'll give it to you as a percentage. I'm going to say... 70. Yeah, 76%. That's a great guess. Wow. Yeah. I thought I was going high, too. No. And and 94% top 10. That's amazing. Crazy, crazy dominance. And what's what's even more insane is her her top three round event ratings in tournaments have all come in the last four years which is crazy so i mean she's she's only getting better i mean if you if you scroll through you know her top event ratings ever i mean you've got to go down 30 events until you get one as recent as 2015 basically all of her round Hmm. ratings that have been 970 or over have come in the last you know six or seven years so i mean obviously she was playing at at a pretty high level back then as well but i mean she's only gotten better and better and better over time which is amazing yeah i wonder if that's related to uh i know for a while she was working a job during this i think during the season yeah i actually think this is uh, the first year that she isn't full-time okay at at that job i think i heard that okay yeah which is awesome for her yeah that checks out be able to do that yeah definitely very cool all right, let's jump into the FPO here, shall we, with crunch time. Uh, this one was pretty cool. So, Allie Smith, 25th ranked player in the world. Now, that's actually higher than I would have guessed. Now, if you look at her season finishings this year, certainly not bad. A lot uh, a lot of placements in between, like, 10 and 20, but hasn't really cracked the top 10 yet. She gets... Tied for sixth place at this event. Probably one of her best events ever, is what I would guess she would tell you. It's her highest event fourth, rating ever. Well, there you go. Yeah. Uh, fourth in circle one regulation, 43%. Also fourth in strokes gained T to green at just a hair over 13. Lost strokes to the field putting, but still able to finish tied for sixth. So very good uh, performance off the tee carrying her to nearly a top five finish and like you said highest rated uh you said highest rated event her, of her highest career, event right? rating of her of her career yep sweet before this event she had 124 sanctioned rounds on record five of those 124 at 970 or higher so that same mark we were just talking about with Jen Allen. Uh, rounds two and three of Beaver State Fling, she added two more 970-plus rated rounds. So she went from having five in 124 rounds to now having back-to-back 970s. Wow. On the so, way up. Very cool. Now yeah. here's, here's the real meat and potatoes of this uh, stat section here. Five DGPT events last year. How much cash do you think she won in those five events combined? Uh, probably not that much. I mean, I'm I'm gonna go like two grand. Zero. Really? She did not win any cash last year, which kind of surprised me because I had heard her name at all, or just in, just in pro tour events. I, uh, I don't remember, but at the very least, 
pro tour events yeah i think that's probably just pro tour events yeah it's got to be yeah yeah uh so five dgpt events last year no cash she has played all 10 dgpt events this year how many of those events do you think she's cashed let's go all of them all of them love it love it which is kind of funny because some of her worst finishes this year in terms of placement are very similar to finishes that she had last year yep so she must you know just be riding the cash line on some of those events this year maybe they have a few more people in the fpo field so the cash line's a little lower not sure but either way it's working out for her yeah check this out so in 2022 her best event rating was 943 her best event rating last year in 2023 her average event rating is 947 nice so her average is higher than her best event rating last year and her worst this year is 933 which is crazy so ali smith playing really really well this year she finished 11th at champions cup this year yeah she. i don't know how many people realize that so yeah and i think that was her biggest cash payout of her career too yeah 1350 yep pretty good i look at way too many stats joe i remembered that from memory Mm. that doesn't surprise uh, me not to tip my own cap there but mm. love love that one too too many stats too many stats grabbed it right out of the air all right we're gonna stay in the fpo here this is a rachel turton stat so this is cool usually what i do you know taking you uh behind the curtain breaking the fourth wall here so when we prep for these things right usually i'll just scroll the leaderboard I'll kind of, I'll start at UDisk Live, all the stats, right? I'll sort all the stats by different categories. I'll kind of scroll through and see if there are any oddities that are worth investigating some more, what have you. Um, I saw Rachel Turton finish 12th, and that is a very high finish for a name that I don't recognize. So that is like prime candidate for digging into the stats and trying to learn who this person is. What did they do uh, this weekend to to finish that high was this like by far their best tournament they've ever played or is this actually kind of average she hails from england so it's totally possible that she's been that good for a while and just hasn't been playing stateside you never know so just looking at beaver state fling sixth in strokes gained t to green at just a hair over 12 she did lose a couple strokes putting but again, still good enough to finish tied for 12th. Now, check out this resume, okay? I mentioned I didn't even know who this was. 12th is very uh, strong finish. But is this, you know, kind of the the best event of this person's career or, or maybe not? You dig into her resume, this is definitely not uh, a fluke for Rachel Turton. So just... Not that long ago in November, she won the European Pro Tour All-Star event. Whoa. She also won the 2022 Scottish Open and the Copenhagen Open. Okay, so and, she's, she's been around. Yep. And even just at last year's PCS Sula Open, which was one of the biggest events in Europe uh, that would have had high exposure to the U.S.-based audience, I'll say. Yep. Because it was covered by Jomez, right? It was a DGPT event. 
Uh, she finished second at PCS Sula last year. Whoa. Now, I don't remember hearing if I remember that. right, I don't think we did an episode about PCS Sula, so that's definitely how that went under my radar. No, I remember mentioning it. I I think Anakin Steen won it, and I think the field that size right. w- yep. was was pretty small. I think you're right. On, yeah. the F- on the FPO side, yeah. That was the one, did Greg take that one down? He sure did. Yeah, sounds about right. And uh, when she's not winning all of these big European events, <laughs> well, I shouldn't say that. When she's not winning all these big European events in the FPO, she's taking down some C tiers in MPO as well. No way. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty cool. So, yeah. Decided it was time to take her game to the DGPT FPO division. I guess for the second time, having played PCS Ula last year. And uh, yeah, tied for 12th. So if she sticks around, we could be looking at uh, someone who's in the mix pretty often, which is very exciting. Yeah, always love to see new names. All right, let's jump over to the MPO side of things now because we had a very cool, well, we had multiple cool stories, but to me, the coolest story coming out of the MPO this weekend, Carter Aarons. Yeah. Now, if you've never heard of this guy, I'm thinking you've got like 25 more years of hearing about this guy because he's 15 years old. That's what he claims on his Instagram. You know, maybe that's a couple months old. Maybe he's turned 16 since then. I don't know, but either way. 15 years old, shoots the course record, 1070 rated, 12 under par in the final round. Pretty, pretty wild. Yeah, that is his highest event or highest round rating rather of his career uh, by about eight points. So definitely very solid for the kid. Fifth in circle two in regulation at 72%. Only 21st in Circle 1 in regulation at 43%, so really had to rely on the Circle 2 putting this week. 6.77 strokes gained putting. Good for 5th. Yeah. So he kind of just did it all. Yeah. I. uh, It's pretty wild. I mean, here's the thing. He's... He's a phenomenal player, and he's really young. But the kid's been playing in MPO for like three or four years. I mean, he has podium finishes in MPO almost four years ago, you know? And that's... Like, it doesn't even make... It doesn't even make sense. Like... I just can't imagine playing in MPO at... 11 11 or 12 years old you know what i mean and i mean it's 2023 so he would have been born in what 2008 (laughs) something 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 like that which is which is wild and i mean he's got wins in you know junior divisions at under 18 under 15 under 12 i mean just unbelievable and i i mean it just goes to show you that there's so many talented players out there that you don't hear from or don't hear about, I should say, because they're just too young or, or not playing events that we focus on, right? And 
it's yeah it's, i've got to imagine one of the only reasons he even played this event is because he's from washington and it probably just wasn't that far away i think he's also playing in the cascade challenge this weekend so yeah. we'll get another look at him i mean probably. he played he played otb um you know he played he played austin he played texas states so i mean he's definitely getting out there um he played he played waco so i i mean he might be doing something of a of a tour yeah you know? it certainly seems like it yeah and you know 1045 event rating is is dominant and is i mean we've seen events up for grabs for event ratings like that i mean nowadays it seems like you need to play more like 1060 to take take one down certainly an elite series but i mean this is not his his only event rating that's north of of 1020 i mean he's got six or eight events up in that range four events better than 1030 i mean this is not a fluke event for him you know i mean it's it's certainly his i would say his best finish at a big event is is maybe the best way to say it um but i i I don't think this is just like some kid getting lucky you know no absolutely not definitely yeah if you look at the stats the pedigree is there yeah for sure and i mean i think that's what makes it all the more impressive and you know what i gotta i gotta be honest it makes me really happy that the silver events allow for players like this to be able to play and i'm not talking about field strength or anything like that just that there is a a path for players like carter to be able to come to an event like this and potentially do well and obviously that has huge impacts for him with regards to sponsorships or even just on a personal level right whether it's convincing himself or the people that support him that this is something that he can do but also just you know it has implications as far as getting tour card status and things like that you know and it's it's a weird thing right where you got to be a top player to get a tour card but you got to play the biggest events to be a top player so that you can get a tour card and i think for the past couple of years it's been sort of a gray area and it definitely feels like the pro tour has been focusing on creating mechanisms that allow up-and-coming players to to break into the scene right and this is a perfect example of that happening you know if if he does this a few more times over the next couple of years i mean there's no doubt that he's going to be able to work his way up into the standings far enough to to get himself a tour card right and be able to play every event and get the support that he needs so really awesome let's dive into the world of weird stats on this one this is a nathan queen stat so nathan queen finished tied for 52nd shooting a nine down so still under par still what i would say uh, pretty impressive but if we're talking about someone who finished tied for 52nd you know there's probably something weird going on here uh joe if you haven't already dug through the UDisc stats to find Nathan Queen's stat line, do you have any guesses as to why I could possibly be talking about a player who shot nine under when Eagle McMahon shot 31 under? I have no idea. Give it to me. He and Eagle McMahon are the only two players in the field who went bogey free. 
he shot a bogey-free nine down overall. <laughs> All three of his rounds were 15 pars and three birdies. That's He did that th- three consecutive rounds. I'm trying to The decide. scorecard was 64, 64, 64 for a solid 192. I'm trying to decide if I'm impressed or disappointed, and I think that that's sort of the point of this stat is i mean it's very impressive to shoot bogey free for sure that's right and to only come out of it with nine birdies in right. four holes <laughs> definitely a bittersweet play i mean i mean very impressive and doesn't surprise me i mean he has a very clean game and you know mental focus on the course for sure but definitely interesting yeah, so like you said, when we talked about Eagle McMahon, being bogey-free by default means your uh, your scramble rate is perfect, right? Eagle, however, only had five scramble attempts. Nathan Queen was not on the fairway quite as often, but s- still didn't have as many scramble attempts as you might think, but a perfect 11 for 11. So... Where this really got risky for him in terms of preserving the bogey-free round, uh, let me pull it up here, was round two, hole 17. So that was, I think, the only circle two putt that he made for par. In round one, all of his three birdies were circle two putts. So it's not like he didn't make his circle two putts, but I think his circle two putt in round two on hole 17 was the only one that was to save par. Okay. Yes, I'm correct about that. Uh, So that is hole 17. That's like the notorious small island hole, you know, 980 feet par five. So did find an OB on that, but still was able to make a circle two putt to save par regardless. Hardest hole by a mile. I mean, it was by a mile. It was playing well over a stroke over par. Yep. And was able to par it all three rounds. I so very, very very bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. And listen to these, these stats. So tied 52nd bogey free. Right, so keep that in the back of your head. 24% circle one regulation. 24% circle one regulation? Yeah, that was 76th in the field. Out of and honestly, not, 110 or so? Something like that. And the circle two in regulation was not that much better. It was 48%, which was only 62nd in the field. So both of those are definitely below the middle of the pack by a pretty good margin right uh well maybe not circle two in regulation that's pretty close to the middle but regardless he gained 3.35 strokes t to green (laughs) so not sure how but there you go i guess because his approach game was so good right 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 i mean he had yeah if you gotta think if he's not bogeying ever Right, if he's essentially getting to at least circle two in one less than regulation, yeah, it's yeah. 
yeah, you got to think there's players that are, you know, not even getting themselves to circle two. Yeah, and that's what ends your your tee to green. So I mean, if he was getting to circle two for a look at par every single time, you know, it checks out, but it's definitely weird. Yeah, he actually lost 0.7 strokes putting and still did not record any bogeys, which is very impressive. And here's arguably the more impressive part. He went bogey-free despite three out-of-bounds. Yeah, that that is impressive. I mean, there were there were OBs available for sure. I mean, I, I wouldn't say it's the most OB-ridden course, um, but there's there's definitely some lines to stay in, um, and a lot of the players that there, there were a, a good number of players that that never went OB. Um, yep. And and they tended to place pretty highly in the tournament. So it, it's impressive that Nathan was able to keep it clean despite picking up a couple. Yeah, so here's... We'll see if this adds any clarity to how this event played out for him. Uh, we mentioned 48% circle two in regulation, right? So pretty much... 50% of holes, he's outside circle two in regulation. Yep. There were only seven holes where his throw-in distance was over 16 feet. He, wow, he had that few in long circle one as well? Yeah, only three. Wow. So, he so he's, made... he's just not getting to circle two in regulation. He's pitching up, not a bullseye, but into mid C1 and then making making a Well, he's either pitching up to the bullseye or pitching up to short, or I should say mid C1X. Short of 22, yeah. Yeah, and then so he made four short circle twos and three long circle ones. And that was it. Everything else was closer than that. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, I, I would have been it. really cool to have some coverage of that round just to know, right? Uh, earlier this year, I forget who it was. There was a player. Oh, um, Sarah Gilpin. Yep. Had the exact same stat line. It was. Well, I don't know if she was bogey free, but she had 45 pars in a 54 hole event, which is exactly what Nathan Queen just did. And. Uh, I'm not going to be able to pull up the stats in time, but it was, that was a big deal. Like very few people have ever had a par percentage that was that high. Nathan queen now adding his name to that list. So yeah, I think at the time Sarah's was the highest that you found in the couple years that you went back into the stats. Is that right? Yeah, definitely for the FPO. Uh, There were, I think a couple MPO players who had done it, but I digress. Uh, here's a guess of stat for you, Joe. I would like you to guess Andrew Presnell's world ranking. Okay. Um, I think I heard on coverage that he has made the Pro Tour Championship like since like 2017 or something. So... I I don't know that I would always remember that he's consistently like a top 32 guy, 
but he definitely is. I'll be honest, I have no idea how he finished in any other event this year. But I yeah, I, I, I agree. <laughs> you know, I mean, tie in a silver series is more than a lot of players, but I mean, we're not talking about that much. But I'm going to guess 32. 17th. Really? Yeah, I was kind of surprised by that. I, like you said, right? Like, I don't really recall any events that he had finished that high. Uh, as I think about it, Jonesboro, yes. Jonesboro, he tied for fifth. I mean, that alone but, will, will get you a good amount. Yeah, and that's back-to-back events for him, finishing tied for fifth and tied for second, so I'm sure there's maybe some recency in there. Because you go back to Champions Cup, he finished tied for 53rd. Uh, Blue Ridge, he finished tied for 20th, which is not bad. No. Uh, Music City Open, 18th. Again, not bad. But then the first three events that he played this year, he finished 30th, 35th, and 41st. So those were slower. But yeah, of of late, with the exception of Champions Cup, he's got four really solid events of his last five. So, yeah, I mean, I I think he's one of those guys that I, I hate to phrase it this way because he's showing us lately that this isn't true, but kind of just you know doesn't make a huge splash, slips under the radar, plays pretty well in most events, and honestly, it's kind of like what what Kevin Jones did like last year right i mean he never played phenomenal in any event and he had a lot of bad finishes as well but he you know was consistently top 20 and that's that's often enough to put you in in the top 16 or so in the pro tour standings right and that's kind of what presnell does right he i I wouldn't even say he's in the top 10 that often and you know but if you're top 20 every week you're going to be probably better than top 20 in in the pro tour standings. You know? Yeah, definitely. So looking deeper into his stats, he's actually got a very similar thing going on here to Nathan Queen where he had 4 OBs, but he only had one bogey or worse. Wow. Uh it was I think a double bogey on hole 17. Those four out of bounds that he had one was hole 17 in round three one was hole 17 and round two and two of them were hole 17 in round one that one gave him trouble huh yeah four ob's and they were all on hole 17 but that one double bogey was the only over par hole that he had the whole weekend so can't complain too much no. Speaking of lots of OBs, I, I shouldn't say President had a ton, but you know, trying to find a trying to force a transition here. Back into the FPO. Katrina Allen. I have not fully put together how this happened, but I'm gonna read this stat line for you. And maybe we can figure this out. Third in circle two in regulation, 65%. Okay. Eighth in circle one in regulation, 39%. Eighth in birdie rate, 30%. She 
she finished tied for 22nd. Yeah, this this one I actually looked into, and I, I know this. Uh, she had some huge numbers, huge numbers. She had four holes that were triple bogey or worse. So yes, that's that's how that happened. Two of them in the first round. Yeah, yeah, uh, in a span of three holes. Yeah, get this. Final round, she she has a triple bogey, and she bogeys the final two holes, and she shoots three down. I mean that's wow. That's a good round. I mean that's that's a yeah. far above average round, and she did it with five bogey strokes. So, yeah, definitely. It's funny, right? If you didn't show me her her bogey percentages there, right, and you just showed me her overall stats, I I would probably guess she placed, you know, top ten. Yeah. Third in circle two in regulation, eighth in circle one in regulation, 23rd in strokes gained T to green. Yeah. And it kind of puts it into perspective, right? Because on each hole, you either record a circle one in regulation or you do not, right? It's not this spectrum stat like strokes gained where on one hole, every stroke you throw affects how many strokes you're gaining on that hole right the circle two and regulation thing just says hey take par subtract two where are you no matter what else happens on that hole you either get credit for it or you don't and if you take a 12 on a hole and you know your first two tee shots are ob's or whatever it just counts as one missed green and regulation you don't get even more penalized for all of these extra shots you have to take to finish out the hole right you don't get pen uh you don't get punished for them in your circle one and circle two and regulation stats but it does show up in your strokes gain t to green stats <laughs> yeah and Str so that's like usually what happens like you said if you have these great green and regulation numbers but you have these awful well you know not awful, but much worse strokes gained T to green numbers. It is probably because you have just a couple holes, four in Katrina Allen's case, where those that few number of holes combined accounts for many, many, many strokes lost. Yep, and in Kat's case, like you said, six OBs and four triple bogeys. Wow. It's... Yeah. Unlike her, for sure, especially on a course like this, this seems like something she'd be able to attack really well. Especially lately, her forehand's been looking really good. So, um, obviously, I don't know what happened on those four holes, but you know, definitely a course I would normally expect her to to tear it up. And it seems like other than those those couple big holes, she she played really well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, staying on the FPO for a minute as we get close to our our timeout. Just wanted to mention that at the Cascade Silver event this this coming weekend, Holland Hanley is eligible to steal the top Pro Tour standings from Kristen Tatar because Kristen's not playing. Owen is currently in third place, but she's not registered at Cascade. So Holland could could steal it, maybe 
only temporarily, but that would be a, a cool achievement for Holland, even just for a moment to to have that first spot. I think if she places top top three or four, she'll take it from Kristen. And then of course the following weekend is Portland, which is an elite plus, so there's you know, even more points on the line and everybody is registered for that one. So it'll be a, a big toss up once that event comes around. That would be cool. It would definitely be something worth talking about if Holland Hanley, who has not won a DGPT event in her career, uh, were to lead the point standings. I think that that would be very cool. Right. Her and owner are very close to one another. But like I said, own is not registered for this weekend. Yep. All right. I know we're approaching that magical one hour mark. Uh, I do have a pretty cool stat here for you, Joe, and it might be the last one. We'll see. Let's do it. Maybe we'll just go rapid fire on all the things I have left and call it a day. All right. Staying in the FPO. This is a Maria Oliva stat. So first of all, Maria Oliva finished tied for third. Excellent, excellent performance. Uh, she was one of the people I was considering to really have a breakout event at this event, and I wasn't wrong. So props to me, I guess. Um, what really stood out and the biggest reason that she was able to, uh, perform so much better and finish so much higher in this event than she has historically was because the putter was working. So let's take a little look at Maria Oliva's 2023 season thus far through the lens of putting. We're going to take it back to Texas States here for a minute, Joe. So in Texas States, 43 people in the FPO field and Maria Oliva finishes last in strokes gained putting and strokes gained C1X, losing 10.3 putting and 9.4 just in C1X. Her next event, Music City Open, 50 people in the field, 47th in strokes gained putting, 46th in C1X. Okay. Next event, Champions Cup. 45 people in the field. Dead last in strokes gained putting. 34th in C1X. So, you know, not great, but better up to this point. Sure. Go to Jonesboro. 47 people in the field. 45th in strokes gained putting. 43rd in C1X. I did not realize that she was putting this poorly. Uh, Unfortunately for the FPO field, there are a few other names that we're used to seeing at the bottom of the putting stats that I think kind of hid Maria's uh, putting slump here. But anyway, she has four consecutive events that are just abysmal putting. She's losing an average of like nine strokes per event putting and then comes into OTB. Gains just under a full stroke putting. So gaining 0.9 putting and 0.65 in C1X. Finishing 22nd in each of those uh, in a field of 47. Okay. So things are like kind of figured out on the way up. Then comes into Beaver State Fling, 
a field of 44 people finishes ninth in strokes gained putting and seventh in C1X, gaining at least 3.6 in both of those individually. So very cool. And that's all it took to get a podium finish. Yeah, I to be honest, I don't know that I realized that she was, to say it bluntly, playing that poorly earlier on this year. I, but I mean, it's it's cool and impressive to see her start to work her way back steadily. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, I'm with you. It just kind of went right under the radar. Didn't even notice. The last stat I've I've got to uh, get in here before we pack it up, unless you got anything. Nope. Is a Chandler Fry stat. So Chandler Fry, very good event for the Washington native. Finishing tied for ninth, gaining 10 strokes putting. That was the most by 2.28. So pretty far margin between him and everyone else. Third in C1X and third in Circle 2. His previous best finish this year was tied for 39th, but that was at Champions Cup where... Actually, I was going to say the field was a little bit bigger there, but I think the field, the Champions Cup, was actually on the small side because I think they cap it at only 100 people. That sounds right. So, okay. Not too not too shabby there. Tied for 39th. But again, that was his best finish of the year, right? So not, not great. But what is great for Chandler Fry? he is your season leader in C1X percentage. His C1X percentage this year is 91.6. Wow. Yeah. That's 186 for 203. That's, I mean, it doesn't surprise me coming from Chandler Fry. I mean, he's an excellent putter, but I mean, he's, he's challenging all time stats at this point. Yeah. And another guy who, not challenging all-time stats yet, but he's been known to do so. Andrew Marweed hanging back in second in C1X percentage, but he is a full percentage point behind Chandler Fry at only 90.6. I say only. Obviously, that's incredible. But you get my point. Chandler Fry is really putting that well. Now, in Marweed's defense, he does have 74 more attempts which is about 35% more attempts. But the season's young. There's still plenty of time, so we'll see how this all shakes out. Yeah, pretty awesome. We may be doing an episode on Chandler Fry at the end of this year if he keeps it up. I hope we do. I hope we do. All right, do you have anything else for us, Joe? No, that is all I've got for the Beaver State Fling. Yep, that's all I got, too. So we're going to call it there. Thanks again, everyone else, for tuning in. If you made it this far, uh, mad props to you. Sometimes I wonder how you people can even stay around this long myself. So on that note, uh, we're going to figure out if and what we're going to do next week. We've been brewing on some other topics besides tournament recaps. Maybe we'll get something in. Maybe we won't. But either way, this time next week, you'll find out what happens. So until then, peace.